Thank you, Terry. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning. And may the words from my mouth be not only acceptable, but exactly what we need to hear today. I've asked the kids, now I'm going to ask you, have you ever wished that you could get back at or even with somebody who's done something really rotten to you? Have you ever done that? Raise your hand if you have. Yeah. We have those of us who admitted it and those of us who didn't. <laughs> I think we've all been there, at least in our thoughts. Or we secretly hoped that something bad would happen to them, you know, because of what they had done to us or someone we care about. You just want them to feel the frustration or the pain that they've caused you. But we all know that revenge is never a good idea, but it sure is satisfying, isn't it? A few years ago, there was a man named Mark Bale who had his laptop stolen. Lucky for him, he had a software program on there so that he could operate that laptop remotely and he was able to access the laptop when it was being used. He could see that the thief had used it to record a video of himself practicing dance moves. And he was really, really a horrible dancer. And so he uploaded the dancing thief videos to the title, Don't Steal Computers from People Who Know How to Use Computers. And he uploaded it to YouTube. The embarrassed thief brought it back to him, apologized, and asked him to take the videos down from YouTube, but he refused to. When Dave Carroll's guitar got damaged by baggage handlers at the airport on his United Airlines flight, United refused to reimburse him for the damage to his guitar. And so he worked out his frustrations by writing a humorous song that was called United Breaks Guitars. And he posted on YouTube and, and the song went viral. Those are examples of harmless, creative ways to get revenge, I guess. But what if the unfairness is much worse than a damaged guitar? Shouldn't the revenge be just as severe, just as serious? When we last saw Joseph, his jealous brothers had stripped him of his beautiful robe that his father had, had made for him, had had it made for him. He, they threw him into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt, as I told the kids, where he was falsely accused and he was put in prison for years. But during these 13 plus years in Egypt, Joseph worked to honor God with his life. And God guided him to positions of great power and positions of importance. In our story, we see that Joseph is now the governor of Egypt, second only to the pharaoh, the king. This is the moment Joseph has been waiting for. A famine drives his brothers who are desperate to Egypt because under Joseph's wise and godly management, the Egyptian government has stored up more than enough grain to feed their people through this famine. He was thinking ahead. His brothers were now on his turf. 
Here is his chance to get even. So why doesn't he take advantage and get even? Because as Joseph looks back on his 13 years in Egypt, he sees the power of God to redeem. He sees how God used his suffering, his time in prison. God had a greater purpose, a greater plan. God redeemed those years that were lost to slavery, to injustice, to time in prison. Joseph looks back and sees that his story isn't just about him. It's about God's power working through him to protect the nation of Egypt and to save his own family from starving. And I hope that we can see from that, uh, from that same point of view, and that is that when we exercise faith in a loving God, that he always works to redeem our struggles, to heal the things that have happened, and to draw us closer to him. Look at what Joseph says to his brothers in verses 5 through 8. He says, And now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives. That Not, not you guys, he didn't say you sent me ahead. He said, that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be plowing and reaping. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant of earth, on earth, I'm sorry, and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. Joseph is saying, I could be bitter and broken. I'm in a position where I could get even with you. But God has given me hope. I could be angry. I could be anxious. But God has given me peace. I could be alone. But God has shown me love and been with me the whole time. Where in your life can you say, my troubles could have destroyed me, but God was there. In his book, Shattered Dreams, psychologist Larry Crabb writes these words, Our job as Christians is to believe God when God promises to work everything that happens in our lives and everything that happens in our souls for the good of people who love God and who surrender to however he wants to use them in his life. That's faith. End quote. Did we hear that? Our job is to believe God. Can we do that when we're surrounded by trouble? Through those long years of slavery and prison, Joseph believed in God's promises and surrendered himself and gave himself to God's will. And all those years later, he could look back and he could see how God had turned his troubles into victories. Pastor Alan Cross tells a story about a couple in his church who are a great example of faithful, joyful obedience to God, no matter what happens or what the circumstances. Their names are Ray and Ruth Bozeman. They've been happily married for over 60 years. During that time, they've raised two children, worked all the way up into their 80s, They've traveled across the United States. They've gone on mission trips. 
They've taught Sunday school. They've volunteered in all different ways in their church. And they volunteered at the food pantry and all sorts of community places. And they have had a full and joyful life. Just ask them. But here's the amazing part. Ruth is almost totally paralyzed. When Ruth was 25 years old, she came down with what she thought was the flu. It got worse. And she ended up in the hospital. As she laid in the hospital bed, this is what she prayed. She says in her own words, quote, I told the Lord that if he was ready to take me, I was ready to go. But if I was going to stay here, then the rest of my life, I wanted to serve him. I experienced great peace at that moment, like someone had pulled a blanket over me, and I was nice and warm. It was the peace that surpasses all understanding that the Bible talks about. I didn't know when I fell asleep that night that when I woke up in the morning, I would be completely paralyzed. When I woke up the next morning, I could only move my eyes. But the peace was still there, and it has never left me. Ruth was diagnosed with polio. She spent two months in the hospital. She came home on a stretcher. But she and Ray were determined to live their lives to the best of their abilities. Ray took Ruth to church at first on that stretcher and even took her to vote in the presidential election. After months at a rehab facility, she was finally able to sit up in a wheelchair and regain limited use of one arm. Looking back over the years, Ruth and Ray didn't focus on the daily struggles of dealing with her paralysis. Instead, they focused on the love and the power of God that kept them going through this whole situation. Ruth said, our soul content... Our sole intent is to share what God's love has meant to us with other people. None of what our life has been would be possible without our relationship with the Lord. We have worked hard every day to be a blessing to others and to show God's love to them. That's what it looks like to believe in the redeeming power of God's love. Joseph also looks back and he sees the redeeming love of God and that that love leads him to forgive and to save the lives of people who tried to destroy him. In 1957, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached one of his most powerful sermons. It was called Loving Your Enemies. As a leader of the civil rights movement, Dr. King had been harassed, he had been threatened, and he'd been jailed unfairly for fighting for equal rights for all people. Yet his faith in Christ compelled him to return hatred, not with hatred, but with love. To return violence with peace. In his sermon, he preached, the strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate, the chain of evil. He wanted the congregation to know that they had a much more powerful choice than hate, and that is love. And he said, love was within, has within it a redemptive power. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and transform your enemies' lives. But if you love them, you will discover that the, at the very root of love is the power 
of redemption. Let that truth sink in. At the very root of love is the power of redemption. The truth is that it can be seen very clearly in the life of Jesus. Jesus came to show us what God is like and how he wants us to live. He suffered injustice, imprisonment, torture, and even death in order to defeat, defeat the power of death and give us eternal life. Joseph's story is a picture of love and redemption, a picture of that love and redemption that Jesus brought to us. In a podcast, I heard this this past week, and I wrote it down. In every way, Joseph is an image of God's anointed one. Through his suffering, a remnant of God's people is preserved. Through his faithfulness, blessing goes out to all the nations. And he even forgives his brothers who tried to kill him. Michael Brown, the pastor of a church in New York, tells a story about how the love of Jesus can heal the pains of the past in the victims as well as the offenders' lives. Reverend Brown was the, has the greatest respect for a pastor that he knew growing up. He describes this pastor, who was a friend of his father's, as one of the kindest, greatest human beings I ever knew. That pastor had once told Reverend Brown's father that he had grown up with a stepmother who abused him physically and emotionally. Sometimes in her anger, she would lock him outside in the yard all night. He would bang on the door crying and begging to be let back into the house. No matter how bad the weather was outside, she wouldn't let him back in until the next day. And then the next morning, she'd give him no breakfast and she'd rush him off to school. Many years later, when the stepmother was dying and all her biological children had abandoned her, this pastor brought her into his home to live with him. He took care of her with love and compassion right up until the day she died. Reverend Brown's father said, I can't believe you did that. After all that she did to you and for after how she treated you. This pastor said, I didn't just do it for her. I did it for myself, too. I reached a point where the burden of resentment was so heavy that it got too heavy to carry around. I couldn't be free of the pain till I was free of the hate. In any way, I decided if I cannot love people, who make loving difficult, how could I stand in a pulpit and preach about love to anyone else? Isn't that amazing? I decided if I cannot love people who make loving difficult, then how could I stand in a pulpit and preach about love to anyone else? I've been there. I can relate to those words. Jesus could preach to us about love because he knew how to love people. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but while we were yet sinners, because of God's grace and love for us, he died for us. 
The redeeming power and love of God are shown in the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior. Because we know Jesus as our Lord, we also know the redeeming power and the love of God. We know our life story is not just about us. It is about God working through us, working all things to the good for those who loved him and who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. When I look back on my life, when you look back on your life, do you see those but God moments? Those times when God was working to get us through our toughest struggles by his power and by his love? And can we be a channel, those of us who are doing okay right now, can we be a channel for those who are facing those times, a channel of God's love for them? When we make that choice, this is very practical stuff, folks. Very practical. I mean, we can practice it right now today. There are people that we know and people that we love, people who are members of this church family today who are in need of that love that God will channel through us to them to get them through some difficult times. When we make the choice to do that, we can count on God to help us to do that and to help them get through this process and heal the past and change the future and use our example to tell the story of God's goodness. Amen.